Hey, we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 16, so I know you've been waiting to get into your Bible, and uh, so turn over to Luke chapter 16, um, thinking clearly about money. Uh, a lot of things you could think about money, and uh, I want to pull it straight from Scripture. Uh, in this passage, um, Jesus warns us not to try to serve two masters. Have you ever tried to serve two masters? I think you have. Okay, let's just, I think you have, and I'll prove it to you. How many of you would like to fire your boss? Come on now. Yeah, right? You're, like, You're a business owner. That's not a good idea. I mean, there are a few owners in here, but most of us are workers, right? And so, uh, um, like, there's times I'm like, I want to fire my boss, man. Like, I just want to fire him, right? And, uh, but that is two masters, isn't there? See, I have the master of my boss, and then they have the master of what I want, and one of those things has to give. You can't serve two masters. You get it? You can't serve two masters. And so Jesus is warning us in this passage, you can't serve two masters. Now, the reason I asked Brent to sing that song for us is because it's amazing. God loves us so much, right? Um, but uh, for you older generation, have you ever heard the song, When God Ran? Anybody? Yeah, just me and you. We grew up in the same church. Maybe that's it. You guys go listen to it. Have you ever seen God run? Don't you kind of think of God as like this prim and proper on the throne in control God? Why would God run? You know, why would God run? He's in control. He's not in a hurry. There's one time God runs, right? And that's when he's running to you. When you turn and repent, he is coming. He is relentless in his love. And so I need you to see this passage because this passage is a difficult passage and it, it can get kind of weird. And so I'm going to explain some of that. But I need you to see this passage in the context. The context is, look at chapter 15, the parable of the lost sheep. Leave the 99, go get the one. The parable of the lost coin, go find that coin, right? Sweep the whole house. The parable of the prodigal son who goes away, spends all the money the dad gave him, and then one day has a clear thought. He thinks clearly about his life one time, and he says, man, I would be, rather be a servant in my dad's house than be living in this pigsty. Right? And he makes a decision, a choice, to get up, leave this job, and go pursue a relationship with his dad again even if it's master-servant. And in that context, God comes to us with this story we call the dishonest manager or um, the prodigal steward, however you want to say it. But it's in that context where, where God's like, hey, I relentlessly love you, and I have some things to say about this other master that you want to serve, and if you apply these things to your life, you're going to make a decision. See, it's a combination of parables and sayings pointing again and again to the need for decision. And I'm going to ask you today to make a decision before you leave. Is that clear? I'm trying to think clearly about money, right? Is that clear? All right, good. Awesome. Perfect. All right. So, this is a difficult passage, right? 
And the difficult passage, um, chapter 16, 1 through uh, 15, is difficult because of a couple reasons. One, there's a lot of gaps in the story. You're like, man, you just, whoa, hold on. <laughs> what about this? What about that? And we try to fill in the gaps in the story, and that becomes difficult because we don't know what they are. So you can only speculate, and there's a lot of different speculations. And if you speculate certain things, it changes the meaning of the story. And so I would just say to you, take it for what it is. Take it for what it says. Don't try to fill in the gaps. Jesus keeps skipping forward because that's all he wanted to say. He didn't want to say any more, right? He's being clear. It's just us that want to muddy it by trying to fill in the gaps with whatever we think is right, okay? All right, and then the second thing is words. Words matter. Can we say that? Words matter, matter, right? I mean, words matter, every word. And the words in here, there's some words that you're like, what? Like shrewdness and shrewd, shouldn't they mean the same thing? It's two different words. Commended. Why would somebody ever commend a person they were firing? Why would they ever do that? It doesn't make any sense to say something good about a dishonest manager. But he does, right? So there's some things in here, unrighteous wealth, money, and uh, they're just words, right? But they're important to understand. So difficult passage ahead of us. Let's read it and let's apply it to our lives. Luke chapter 16. And he also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this manager was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be a manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Notice all the personal pronouns now. My master is taking the management away from me. I, 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 me, me, I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided, finally, what to do so that when I am removed from the management, people may receive me into their houses. This is kind of a parenthesis. If you want to put a parenthesis there on the front end, it goes all the way to the end of verse 7. 5, 6, and 7, a parenthesis. So he summoned. So this kind of happens on the side. He does this thing in the process of getting let go. Um, so he summoned his master's debtors one by one. And he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. Skip ahead again. The master, so not there at the meeting when this is all happening, parentheses, okay? But the master, in the end, later, when they were saying goodbye or something, I don't, again, I don't want to speculate. Jesus keeps moving. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends 
for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. This is Jesus speaking. And if you know Jesus, this seems like a conundrum verse. You're like, I don't understand what you're saying here. Good, I'm going to explain it today. That'll be great. Okay? And I, Jesus, tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, because money fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. That's going to be an important verse to unpack. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, money, who will entrust you to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You should underline that in your Bible. It's an impossibility. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus says it. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Can you imagine? I mean, yeah, I can imagine because I like read the end of the Gospels when they were like wagging their heads at him and saying, come down off the cross if you... So I can imagine that before they crucified him that they kind of like did some of that too. Scoffed and spit and ridiculed and slandered. And here's what he said to them. This relentless God, don't forget that context, that loves them so much and would love for them to love Him rather than their money. He said to them, You are those who justify yourself before men. But God knows your heart. The same God you serve knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of the Lord. It's a tough, difficult, but I'm going to make it clear. Hopefully God will make it clear to us passage. When I read that passage at the end of the week of studying the Word, doing what you've asked me and paid me to do, here's what I think, okay? I want to serve God faithfully with money. That's what I think, right? So that's the title of the message, okay? This passage makes me want to serve God faithfully with money. I want to do that. I don't always do that. I wish I would do it more. I want to serve God faithfully with money. Not just during this series, month of November, and then December comes and we screw it all up at Christmas. I can see you feel my pain on that. But every day for the rest of my life, I want to serve God faithfully with money. And in order to do that, I think you're going to find four principles from Luke 16 that we need to understand and that we need to apply to our life. All right? So if you want to be different from this day forward, I think you've got to understand the four principles in the passage and then you have to apply them to your life. 
Here's the first principle. Thinking clearly about God's money. I want to serve God faithfully with my money. First principle. Managing God's money requires accountability. Is accountability a dirty word at your house? Because it isn't mine. If you try to hold one of those kids accountable for doing something they should normally do, well, Dad, you know, like there's either a million excuses or there's just like this try to squeeze out of the authority, right? Now, it's great to talk about my teens that way. They're actually really good teens. My kids are really good kids. They really are, and we're really blessed to have them. So it's great for me to say that negatively about them. But I just said that negatively about them because I didn't want to use you as an example. (laughs) Right? You see how I did that? But I could use any, any one of us. I could use myself. I don't want to be held accountable. I don't want there to be a standard. I don't want it to be this way. There's an owner in the story, and there's a manager in the story. And then there are debtors in the story. And they all have roles. They each fulfill their own role. The owner owns, the manager manages, and the debtor is in debt. So he serves. And that's just the way it is. So now... When the owner finds out that the manager, who's supposed to be on his team, you know what I mean? The owner doesn't do the day-by-day operations of baseball, right? You have an owner of the team, you have a manager. The manager is the person you see on the field telling the players what to do, who's going to be in, who's not. What time am I supposed to be at the meetings? The manager will tell you, not the owner, right? They are the ones in control, but this person owns it. Right? So take that into the story. That's what's happening. You have this wealthy guy. He's the owner. He has a really good servant. He elevates him up the list to manager. Hey, you've been faithful, so you do this. But what happens is when you get elevated to a certain level, if you go past your pay grade and character, your talent can only take you so far, but your your character's got to carry you. Right? Can I get an amen on that? I mean... My, character, my talent's taking me farther than I should go, and then my character catches up, and, and that's not, never good, right? And then you got to grow. you got to grow in your character. That was a side. You have these uh, rules, and, and he says, the, the, the owner says to the manager, you're not doing your job, okay? You're, you're, you're not cutting it. You're, you have to, just read it there. Charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. But people are telling him, hey, hey, this guy you put in charge, he's not really doing his job. And he called him and he said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account. That's the key words. Turn in the account. Be accountable. How did you manage my money? How did you manage my stuff? How did you manage my possessions? How did you do it? I wasn't really involved. I didn't really set any stipulations. I just asked you to think like me and do it. But now I'm hearing you're not doing that. You're not thinking like me. You think you are me. That's a problem. 
So you can no longer be a manager. We're from America. Does the word innocent until proven guilty mean anything to you? Yes? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of operate under that too. It was kind of ingrained in me till I, since I was like really small. So, where's the trial? Bring in the witnesses. I mean, come on. Like, I think we all think that way. We all think like, well, well are you sure he was a bad manager? Are you sure? I'm not sure. Like, like let's bring in the trial. Let's bring in the witnesses. Let's, let's have a big like hearing and let's figure it out. And I got to say to you, man, either God leaves that part of the story out or that didn't matter to them as much as it matters to us. The owner was the owner. He said, you're not cutting it. Here's the evidence. I don't need a trial. We're going forward. Here's the point. We must all be accountable to an owner, to a master. And his name is God. That's what his name is. I don't know what your master's name is, but mine is the creator of the universe. The one that holds this clay in his hands and molds it and makes it. He can break the clay on the ground or he can keep, he could start over. He can do whatever he wants with me because he's the owner. He's the potter. I'm the clay, so to speak. You go, it seems harsh. It seems rigid. It seems... Well, I'll just give you a phrase that God's been teaching me. Because in our day... Accountability equals negativity. That's the truth. If you want to hold somebody accountable, then you're just being negative. I mean, should we really have to follow the rules? Why are there rules anyway? Can't I just make my own rules up? I should be able to cheat at this game, right? Change the answers if I'm wrong on the test? Wrong? Who said I was wrong? I'm not wrong. I mean, that's kind of where we've gone. It's like this slippery slope of like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm not even wrong. If you say two plus two is equal to five, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. And that might be like the only thing that I can be intolerant about right now. Who said I was wrong? A great example of this, maybe you could relate to this, and this is a firestorm. So I'm going to say these words, and I just don't know how you're going to respond, and I don't really care. It's just an illustration. I don't even care about this, right? Everybody say he doesn't care. I do not care about this, but it's a good illustration. Every one of you will feel this. NFL players. Stand, not stand. I don't know. Yes, I do, right? I looked up their operations manual the thing they operate their game day on. And it clearly says that players have to be outside the locker room, at attention, helmet in left hand, know where the flag is, and be looking at the flag standing during the national anthem. That's their job. Somebody pays them money to do that. I don't have an opinion on it. 
I'm just saying to you, that's our world. Accountability equals negativity. And that's the way it is. But God's principle from God's word in the first two verses is, if you're going to be a manager of God's money, that requires accountability. Would you like to have some money in this life? Yeah, I kind of do. I want to manage more than I manage now. Well, then you're accepting a condition to that term, which is, I want to be held accountable for it. Is that clear? First principle, managing God's money requires accountability, and I'm willing to be held accountable. I'm willing to give an account to God of how I manage His money and His resources. Okay? Second, investing God's money affects eternity. Investing God's money affects eternity. Now, see this is from verses 3 through 9. So, the manager said to himself, What shall I do? My master is taking away the management from me with no trial. I am not strong enough to dig. I don't know if that's true. I think he just doesn't want to dig. I am too ashamed to to beg. Well, that might be true, but that's pride, right? Ask for help. I have decided. See, I think that's the best statement. He's like, I decided I'm going to do something. And that's really important. I have decided. Good, get to work, I think his owner would say. Think about the future. Take care of yourself. I asked you to take care of my stuff. You didn't, so take care of your stuff at least, right? So I'm seeing this in the story. And then he gets to this parentheses, right? It's like, when I'm removed to the management, I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not, not going to have any friends. I'm not going to have any place to go. And so he has this parentheses. So he summons his master's debtors uh, one by one. So I need two, two, Eric, you're in the message. And I need another, uh, yep, Caleb, you're in the message. All right, great. So you guys are in the message. So uh, he summons these guys, and he, he, I brought a bill from home, so you guys will just I mean, there's yours. That's the energy bill. Here's yours. That's the trash bill. Okay, great. So just stand here. You stand here, okay? So um, the problem is, um, if you read this, and I'm reading it, it's like, he said, he said, he said, he said, he said. Who said? I don't even understand. You got to read it 50 times to even get it. Okay, so let's just go through it so you can see it visually, right? So... I'll be the guy that's summoning these guys, okay? So I'm summoning the debtors. This guy owns my master a bunch of money, like a lot of money, like years and years and years worth of a day's wages, okay? Because the part that they cut off their bill is 160 days wages for common labor, each of them, 160 days wages. So, okay, so they owed him a lot more than that if you do the math, all right? So he says... He said to the first, how much do you owe the master? So I say to him, how much do you owe the master? And he says, well, I got the bill in my hand, and I owe him this much, right? And then I say to him, yeah, here, let me get you a pen. Um, here, just, just write, what does he say on there? What does it say? 50, just write 50 on there. Go ahead, just write 50 on there. Great, it's 50 now. Awesome, that's what it is, all right? So, okay, then I go over here. 
Notice that he says, uh, he said, quickly do it. Quickly. Do it quick. Don't want the master to see. He's still being dishonest. Okay, this isn't like a good thing. He's not commending him for changing the money. He's commending him for doing something. Okay? And then he said to another, how much do you owe? Right? He's like, I don't know because I don't have a Bible in front of me. Okay, so it says in the Bible, you can read it. But go ahead and write down 80. Right? Write down 80 on your bill. Hurry, hurry, hurry. My master might come. Right? So he gets him to write down 80. Okay? And then he's like, well, I'm going to need that. And then he's like, okay, that's it. So now you, you have a bill that says 50. You pay me the money because you're like, that's a great discount. Right? So he pays me the money and the bill is paid. But he only had to pay 50. And he pays me the money. The bill is paid. But he only had to pay 80. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I don't know how that's possible, how somebody can get away with that. Now there should be a trial, okay? But the story skips all of that and goes, they're having a goodbye meeting, and the, and the owner says to, the, to the, the master, says to the manager, do you read it? I mean, this is astounding. The master commended. Commended means to praise. Good job. He commended who though? The dishonest manager. So his, his, his status hasn't changed. He hasn't repented. He hasn't changed anything. He's still dishonest. For his, what does it say there? Shrewdness. Now, this is the interesting thing about the passage, and I never want to question the Bible, and I'm not questioning the Bible. There's Greek here, okay? And uh, you read the Bible, most of the times when you're reading it, you're reading exactly word for word what the Greek says. But this shrewdness is kind of weird. It's kind of weird. So shrewdness, for his shrewdness, means to make, to do, to perform. It's a verb. It's, it's to work to cause to be, to create. He's like, you got creative and you actually tried to come up with a solution and you did something. Well done. Good job. You did something, right? Because the reason I'm letting you go is you didn't do anything. <laughs> you thought the money was yours, so you acted like it was yours instead of thinking the money was mine and actually working for my money. And so he... He says, hey, 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 so you might just write in the margin of your Bible there, like, work, right? Create. But then the next shrewd is, is shrewd. It's what you think of. It's wise. It's prudent. It's sensible. It's thoughtful. It's clear. Really, the biblical word for us would be like sober-minded, right? So keep reading. For the sons of this world. Who are the sons of this world? Who do you think he's talking about? Unbelievers, right? So it depends on your status with Christ. If you live on this world, you came into this world an unbeliever, right? A sinner, right? The sons of this world. Everybody on this planet, a sinner. That's who he's talking about. Are more shrewd, wise, not working, but wise, in dealing with their own generation. So, the people here on earth, sinners, they're a little better at like taking care of themselves 
laying up treasures for themselves here on earth, then we who are believers, then the sons of light, he says, they're better at it because this is life is all they think they have. And I'm looking past it going, no, there's another life. I don't need to do that. I'd be happy to give you 20 bucks. You need 20 bucks? I'd be happy to give it to you. Not going to do me any good in eternity anyway. I don't care. So the sons of light aren't very shrewd on this earth with their money. He's talking about a money story. They're not very shrewd. That's true. Now, not of everybody, but I grew up um, a church kid. And I don't, I mean, we had enough money. God always provided. But I don't think like we were like uber shrewd. Like my parents, my parents would give you the shirt off their back. I remember one time my mom telling us a story about like giving like $10 to somebody that needed it and then not having any money for milk, you know, and then going and finding a $10 bill on the street so we could go buy milk and just like, what? Like complete God story. I remember that one because it was so God, right? But I think overall, Christians aren't as concerned about this life and aren't laying treasures up for themselves in this life as are people who think this life is what it's all about. Okay, now that's all good. We got that. That's clear. But he says this phrase to follow up, and this is investment. When, when you say investment, you think I'm talking about money. No, no, no. Jesus makes it very clear right here. He's like, invest... Investing in God's money affects eternity. That's the point. Here it is, verse 9. And I tell you, make friends. Guess what that word make is? It's the same word as shrewdness up there. It's the same exact Greek word. So it's the same word as the first shrewdness, which means to work or to create, to cause to be. He's like, hey man, Go make some friends. Go be creative with it. Use your money if you want. Start to do some stuff. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. That word is mammon. It's money. Use the money that you hold in your hand to make friends so that when money fails you, and it will, he says when, not if, he says when it fails, and it will, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. They? Yeah, the friends. The friends will receive you into eternal dwellings. What's eternal dwellings? Eternity. How many of you guys have ever heard the song, uh, Thank You by Ray Bolts? Yeah? Dude, you must have gone to church with me again. Everybody else is like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I know you don't know what I'm talking about. That's great. That's great. Okay, but I'm going to read some of the words for you. I put them on my phone. Okay. I dreamed I went to heaven. You were there with me. We walked along the streets of gold beside the crystal street, sea. We heard the angels singing. Then someone called your name. You turned and saw a young man. He was smiling as he came. Here it is. He said, friend, you may not know me. Then he said, but wait. You used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. Every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. Great what you said about Olivia. I just thought about this. One morning when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. 
okay? Thank you for giving to the Lord. That's the premise of the song. Then another man stood before you. He said, remember the time a missionary came to your church? His pictures made you cry. He didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. Yeah, thank you for giving to the Lord. One by one they came, as far as the eye could see, each one somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth, and heaven now proclaimed. That song is this verse. That's what it is. One day I'm going to be in heaven. And if I've used my money or stewarded it somehow to help people get to eternity, sometimes knowingly, he's saying do it knowingly, but sometimes unknowingly, that one day when I get to heaven, there's going to be people waiting there saying, you didn't know it, but I'm here because of you. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Don't be surprised. No, no, look for that opportunity. You don't have to show up in heaven and go, whoa, I didn't know. You can be shrewd, as in wise, sober-minded, and steward the thing I gave you, this unrighteous wealth, this mammon, this money. You could steward it so that people will be in heaven and will welcome you there. I love that Jesus makes it so clear. Money's a tool, we should use it. So people can come into heaven with us. Why did, okay, you still haven't answered the question, Steve. Why did the manager commend him? Like, that doesn't make any sense. He's wicked, he's dishonest. He could still give the point without commending him. Why did he commend him? Here's why. Because the owner knows that the commendation, not just the correction, is what will change the heart. So if it's always like, why aren't you good enough? 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 Then I just start believing I'm not good enough. But the owner, God himself, knows that I need to be told, well done, even in the smallest thing I do because it helps me do more well. That's why he commends him. Good job. You got creative. That's what I created you to do in my own image. I created you to be creative. You figured out a solution, even if it was dishonest. And you did something. Well done. And I feel like God does that with me, sometimes tripping over my own feet. He's like, hey, good job. And then I want to do it again, right? Then I want to do it again. God loves us so much. And I'm so grateful. We need to use God's money, right? So one example of that, um, I like to share things with you. We don't tell you where all the money goes. We are accountable for it. You can look at the books if you're a member of our church anytime you want. That's great. But every once in a while, I like to give you an update, right? So, so $960 of what you guys gave went out the door last month, and it went to uh, Navigators, right? 
So this is an illustration of using wealth, money, stewarding it, investing it, right? And it affects eternity, right? So we have all these students that go to college here, and they're this navigator's ministry, and uh, the leaders of navigators who we support and are a partner with, and in our leadership, Matt, Nicola mostly, uh, came up with this idea. It costs so much to go to this retreat, but if we subsidize it, $30 per person, more kids will go. So let's subsidize it. So we spent 30, they spent 60, $90 total, and 32 kids went, which was a record attendance. Ding, right? Because people can go when it costs them less money. But then what happens? They go away for a weekend and they get super filled up and charged up to do what God wants them to do. And they come back to Rochester, Minnesota and they pour out everything they've got for God's glory. That's being a manager of God's money. I'd love to applaud Matt and, and those guys in NAVS. Like, I mean, good job, right? It's a budget item. We want to do missions in town and that was a great way to do it. I'm encouraged by that. I didn't know. I found out this week, I'm like, what's this? On your credit card statement. Because there is accountability. Everybody's credit card statement gets looked at. Mine too. Like the money's being handled wisely here. And I'm telling you, I'm like, what's this $900? What's this other $60? Oh yeah, that's NAVS. Well, I didn't know. Okay, thanks for telling me. And I love to share that with our church that we're actually doing what we're teaching here, investing God's money because it's affecting eternity. So what are some of the things you should steward? What should you be investing? Like money, right? Yeah, that's not the only thing. Write this down. Money, your time, invest your time. Your gifts and abilities. And then don't forget this fourth one. The gospel message. Invest the gospel. Like sow and reap, sow and reap, sow the gospel and reap, sow the gospel and reap. All right, now at this point in the message, you're like, man, I stink. Right? You're like, dude, I want to be better at my money. At least that's how I was when I got here. I was like, duh. But here's the thing. You can't change the past. The dishonest manager, you can't change the past. He can't do it. You can't change the past, but you can prepare for the future. And the first step in preparing for the future is repent. Repent. I'm wrong. I should have done something different. I should have used your money better. So I had to have a little repentance session with the Lord this week, and I pray that maybe you will do that too. Here's my finances. Here's where they are at. Here's what I got to do. Kimberly and I already had the talk. Like, it's okay, we got to change some things up. We got to use our money just a little bit more effectively. Our money, do you see that? Catch that. God's money, just a little bit of, see how you just keep on wanting to grab hold of it? It's not my money, it's his. Here's the third principle. Faithfulness with God's money leads to opportunity. Faithfulness in little and much. He says, one who is faithful in very little will also be faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little will also be dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, that the word is mammon, money, who will entrust to you true riches, eternal things? Who will give you anything for eternity if you can't handle this money? 
Like, I don't know. Well, they shouldn't. The dishonest manager finally seized the opportunity to invest in his future. But I want you to catch this. If he had worked hard and stayed faithful, he would have had even more opportunity ongoing. So you're like, great, he gets another opportunity. That's awesome. Yeah, but if you're faithful, he would have had abundantly more and more opportunity. So repenting and going forward, that's, that's great. But being faithful, if you're here and you're faithful, you've been given and given and given and given, like, great. That's going to bring more opportunity. So it's not like repentance is the only way. Faithfulness is a good way too. I think of everything in regards to um, money right now in our church in regards to a building. And one of the things I had to repent of this week was, um, and we brought, it, brought in a building consultant and we were talking to him and, you know, there's all this stuff and, you know, <laughs> okay, repentance of church. You ready? Some of you guys are like, I don't care. I wasn't there in 2013. But in 2013, I told the church, at the end of November, the last Sunday of every November, here's what we want to do. We're going to open up a building fund. We're creating a new savings account called the building fund. And we're going to take up an offering on the, on the Thanksgiving weekend. I'm so thankful for what all God's done, but we need to prepare for our future, right? We need to invest. And I said this in 2013. And, and, and I was like, we're going to take an offering and everybody give, this isn't your tithe, this is an offering. Everybody give sacrificially, we put it money away and someday we're going to steward this money to get us into an opportunity called the building. I said that. Anybody here when I said that? 2013, November? Great, awesome. All right. And we did it in 2014. Faithful. Woo! And in 2015, we came up with like a new crazy cool idea called Caribbean Compassion Initiative. And we took all the money that we would have normally done to the building fund and we sent it down to the Caribbean. And we didn't tell you that we were going to put it in the building fund. We actually didn't bring it up at all, the building fund at all that year. We didn't say anything about it. We just focused all on the Caribbean Compassion Initiative. Sorry. I didn't do what I said what I was going to do. That's on me. And so you weren't reminded of what we committed to, and that's on me. And the next year, God gave me a different idea. It was like Police Compassion Initiative, right? Operation Police Compassion, right? Which was great. and our, our, It was awesome. I mean, that was following what we're talking about here. That was investing in, in people. But it still wasn't being faithful because we had said every November we're going to take a building offering. Do you see? And so I repent. And this, this November, we're going to take a building offering. And uh, normally we would do it at the end of November. I'm going to push it a couple weeks because I haven't done the due process to tell you and to prepare you to get some money over here in God's house, right? I haven't told you that. So you're like, whoa, that's two weeks from now. Ah, that money's all spent. I'm going to give you some more time. We're going to take an offering on December 17th. Write it down. December 17th, we're going to take an offering. And I'm going to need that whiteboard, Brent. 
So let me just outline this for you. Have we been faithful with God's money, right? Have we been faithful with God's money? Well, here, let me, let me show you what that looks like. Thank you very much. Okay, so hopefully everybody can see this. If this is your money, okay, you got a big pie chart. Like you go on Quicken or something, you're like, yeah, that's what it looks like. <laughs> that's what my money looks like. All right, so if you have this big pie chart, okay, so let's just take this. We'll call that 10%. You know, if you're a calculated guy, you're like, that wasn't quite 10% or whatever. I don't know, whatever. Okay, so let's take 10%. Okay, and here's what, give, right? Give to God, right? These are just principles from Scripture. Give to God, okay? But then you have this other thing, okay, where God's saying, be shrewd and take your money. And so you have this other, what I'll call 10%. You can make this percent whatever you want. That's not as prescribed in the Bible, okay? This percent is prescribed in the Bible, okay? This one, not so much. You like to go, well, I'd like to know where that's prescribed. Okay, let's throw Malachi 3.10 on the, on the screen, okay? Here it is. Bring the full tithe. Tithe means 10%. That's what tithe means. Into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. The test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, right? So, that's this, 10%, give. Then there's this, 10%, what I would say is it's save. Save, okay? Don't give it to God, save it for God. Save it for a God opportunity. Now, the God opportunity, I call this my emergency fund. The God opportunity might be your car breaks down, <laughs> okay? Well, that's an opportunity for God to like tap into that rather than you borrowing money or having to buy a new car and getting into debt and all that. Or the God opportunity might be like, Wow, the church is doing a building fund. Okay, I might be able to give some money to that now. And you can be wise with your money in that way. What does that leave us with? We got 10 and 10 and 80. Okay, great. My mom's good at math. Okay, and this I call live. Okay? Live! Go out and sow your no. Don't do it. Right? Live. Live with God. Right? This is with God, not apart from God. With Him. So, so often we're like, yeah, I gave my 10%. That was awesome. And then 90% of it is without God. I'm saying I'm repenting of that. I, I don't want to be in that category. Faithfulness with God leads to, faithfulness with God's money leads to more opportunity. So, hey, if you're not giving to God, which there's probably a good chance that some people in here just didn't know this was true or, you know, or just didn't apply the truth to their life. They understood, now they got to apply it, right? Then this would be a good place to start. Why don't you test God for the next month Two pay periods, right? You usually get paid twice in a month. Why don't you test God for two pay periods and take the first 10% and give it to God and see what God will do. All right, now, but if you're already tithing 10%, if you're already doing that and maybe more, praise the Lord, right? We're being faithful, yes, but faithfulness leads to more opportunity. So here, you'd be saving, you'd be saving, you'd be saving. 
I'm giving you an opportunity on December 17th. December 17th, you're getting another opportunity. And this is an opportunity that will help get the gospel out. Having a building will help us, right? It's not the thing. You go, how do I know it's not the thing? Because if we get in a building, that's not the end of it. It's not like, oh, great, we got in a building. Awesome, we're done. No, we want to fill that building until it's bursting, and then we'll get into a different building. Or we'll plant another church, or we'll whatever. We're not like ever going to be done, like, oh, this, this many and no more. That's not Jesus. Jesus is like, it's free. Y'all can come. Y'all can have it. Y'all can, it's yours. I died for all of you. Not just for 10 in a room. I died for everyone. Do you understand? So important. So important. So, again, give, save, live. I wish I could say my finances reflected this. They don't yet, but they will soon. And We've been working on this for years, trying to get our money right. Dave Ramsey, Crown Financial. Now we're doing the balance book. You know, you guys doing this in small group? This is good. It's been good. But, you know, you got to stay after this. You have to stay after this. I'm good. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Be faithful with God's money. You have the opportunity. Prepare for it today. And here's how you're going to prepare for it. Number four. Number four, choosing to serve God with money brings clarity. Choosing to serve God with money brings clarity. Choosing to serve God with money brings clarity. Here's the problem. I'd love to illustrate this for you, but I'm out of time. We elevate money to master status. We take this Little piece of money, this $20, and we elevate it. We make it huge. We elevate it to master status. We're like, master, I love you. I serve you. Well, no. This is a piece of paper that goes in your wallet, right? Maybe I'll just hold it in my hand so you can, you can visualize this. This is in my hand. Guess where I am? In God's hand. Can you just picture him holding me as I'm holding this and how clear that is? Now, if you can think that way, that God has given me something, he's put something in my hand for me to steward as he's holding me in his hand, that gets everything kind of right. But when this becomes my God or I become God, Everything gets sideways. If I were to put God over there and money over there and I was going to be here and I'd say, go ahead, serve them both. He which way you want to head? You'd be like, you can't do that. You can't, I can't. You're right. He says it. Look at the verse. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot do it. It's impossibility. You are fooling yourself. Either you're God or money's God, or God's God. One of the two, or three. Here's the last thing. Choosing, choosing to serve God with money brings clarity. It brings clarity on a few things. Here, here they are. Um, if you look at verse uh, 13. For either you will hate one 
that's God, and love money, because the Pharisees were lovers of money, or you will be devoted, that's God, to God, and despise money. I've been in both things. I've hated God and loved money, and I've been devoted to God, and I despise money. I was like, get money away from me. It's evil. It's evil. Money's not evil. It's neutral. The way you use it can be evil. What it can do to you, if you let it, can be evil. But if you have God in the right place and you're serving God as master, money can be very powerful in your hand. It's a great opportunity. You cannot serve God in money. But I tell you what, you can serve God with your money. Right? So you see the blank at the end. We're, we're going to close. We're just going to close, okay? There's no music. There's no nothing. We're just going to close. But I want you to sit there right now. And you see that last blank? The blanks are empty. That's it. You have to fill them in. The title of the message was, I want to serve God faithfully with my money. You take that down to the bottom, and here's what I wrote. I will. I will. I made a decision today to do it. I will. I will. Not I want to. I will serve God with money. So you can write will down there, or you can write want to. Yeah, at least I got to that, right? I want to, I want to. Maybe I will someday, but I want to. Or maybe you're determined as you leave, and you've made a decision, I will do it. Then write I will in there. And then live by that, because you don't vow a vow to God and not pay it. I will give 10% next week, or next paycheck. I will you know, store up some money for this building offering. I will serve God with my money. I will or I want to, or, or you might just say, I won't serve God with my money. Or you might say, I will serve money. You can write that down. Be honest with God. That's the start of repentance. <laughs> I'm going to serve God. No, no, hold on. I, I, I will. <laughs> Challenge by choice. That's the way we end today. This is the word. It's clear to me. I hope I've made it clear to you. But what will your decision be? Because remember, at the end of the day, these are a bunch of parables told again and again and again and again with the same point to make you come to a decision. So what's your decision? That's the question. Let me pray. God, thank you for the clarity of your word. And there's so much that we could say about it, and there's so much that I have said about it. And I pray that this would not fall on deaf ears, that it would be seen clearly by your people, that the Holy Spirit inside of them would awaken uh, the truth of your word, and that their lives would be radically changed. God, I know that you're changing my heart on money, and I pray that you'd be changing theirs as well. I pray that you would seal it on our hearts. God, I want to serve you faithfully with money. And God, I'm committing to serve you faithfully with money. I will serve God with money. That's my commitment. In Jesus' name, amen.